when we're talking about the symptoms or the disease, we'll say COVID-19, but when we're talking about the virus, we'll say the new coronavirus. Mm -hmm. So once you have it, you have COVID-19, but if you're just talking about the virus in general, it's coronavirus. You're listening to The Itch, a podcast exploring all things allergy, asthma, and immunology. I'm your co-host, Courtney, a real-life allergy, asthma, and eczema girl. And I'm your second host, Dr. Payal Gupta, a board-certified allergy, asthma, and immunology doctor. Courtney and I hope to balance each other out so that we get you all the information that you want and need about allergies, asthma, and immunology. Today, we're joined by Melanie Carver, the Chief Mission Officer of Asthma and Allergy Foundation of America, which we refer to as AFA in this episode. Melanie has been working on creating more resources surrounding COVID-19 and asthma, which is what we get into. We talk about September asthma epidemic, the impacts of COVID-19 on asthmatics, back to school during a pandemic, and the nitty gritty of face masks. Before we jump into this episode, I want to warn you that you might hear some adorable baby sounds sprinkled through because this is our first episode we've recorded since Dr. G has become a mom and baby Phoenix joined us. Now, let's get into it. Welcome, Melanie. We're excited to talk to you today about COVID-19 and asthma. Uh, Before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and about AFA? Thank you for having us on today to talk about this important topic. It's very timely. My name is Melanie Carver. I'm the Chief Mission Officer at the Asthma and Allergy Foundation of America. I'm actually someone who lives with asthma and allergies myself, including food allergies. And I started uh, my journey with AFA actually back in 2005 with the formation of Kids with Food Allergies. So that was an organization established in 2005 that then merged with the Asthma and Allergy Foundation of America in 2013. So I've been with AFA since that time. You have been working with AFA on COVID-19 in particular over the last couple of months. Just to get an overview, how has that been? What have you learned from this and what kind of big takeaways can you tell us about your experience thus far? You know, with it being a new pandemic, it has really been a challenging situation for public health educators because, you know, we've had to wait for data to be captured and analyzed in order to then figure out how to communicate with the public about it. And, you know, as we learn new things about it, that may mean that the recommendations change, which can be frustrating for people to hear. But, you know, like one of the things we saw with COVID-19 is that because it's a respiratory illness, just in general, you should take care if you have asthma to avoid respiratory illness. What we have seen from the data so far is that if you have asthma, you may not be at risk of poorer outcomes from COVID-19 because of your asthma. So that's a little bit of a relief, but it doesn't mean that, you know, you should hold off from, you know, taking all of these preventive steps. You know, you still need to protect yourself and those around you. All of those points are really, really strong. And I think as a physician, I get asked that question all the time. And it really is just important to remember that they are both respiratory illnesses. And even though we're not seeing that asthmatics are necessarily the ones that are uh, affected more and having poorer outcomes, that doesn't mean that couldn't happen. And so it is really important to make sure that you're using your controller medications and keeping your asthma as best under control as you can. And so that means that if you are having any kind of symptoms that you need to see your physician early on and I'm sure we're 
going to be talking about all of that. But I just wanted to emphasize that I totally agree with you and that the media likes to pick up on these kind of random facts and make them bigger than they should be because then it makes people feel more secure than they should be. But at the end of the day, we don't want anyone to be scared but we also don't want people to not take their respiratory illnesses seriously. Talking about asthma and talking about COVID-19, we're moving into the fall and September is a peak month for asthma. Can we talk a little bit about what that means by a peak month for people with asthma? Yeah, so there's a number of things that come together to make a perfect storm in the month of September for people with asthma. This is a season where children and school staff are exposed to several asthma triggers all at the same time. And it starts with ragweed season. So ragweed pollen starts coming out in, in summer, but it peaks in mid-September. And this can impact people with allergic asthma who are allergic to ragweed. And ragweed is across the entire United States. Uh, the only state that doesn't have ragweed is Alaska. So it's a pollen that's difficult to avoid. It's a small grain. It travels hundreds of miles through the wind. And when you go outside, this pollen can then stick to your clothes or your hair and then when you move indoors, that pollen is on you. There are things that you can do to limit your exposure to the ragweed pollen, but it's also just really important to make sure that you have your allergy management plan in place so that you're staying on top of it before the season hits its peak time. The other thing that we see is, you know, this is back to school season. And in typical years, that means a return to in-person schooling. And as, you know, students and staff are returning to buildings, these buildings, have poor air quality and they may be filled with asthma triggers. So we actually saw a report that came out in 2017 and it was from the American Society of Civil Engineers and they did an infrastructure report card for schools in the United States and they rated U.S. public schools a D plus. What they found is that more than half of schools in our country are in need of renovations or repairs to get them to good condition. The Asthma and Allergy and Foundation of America has been monitoring what states are doing to support health in learning environments for students with asthma and allergies. And we do a report that's called the State Honor Roll Report. And what it does is it tracks legislation in states that are addressing school policies for managing asthma and allergies. And one component of that is addressing the environment, the school environment. And what we saw in our last review is that from 2014 to 2019, not a single state improved their indoor air quality policies for K through 12 school campuses. Campuses. And this is really concerning because asthma is one of the leading reasons for school absenteeism. So kids are missing school because their asthma is flaring. So it's really important for us to keep these things in mind, think about what are the asthma triggers that kids are being exposed to in schools, and then how can those be addressed? So some of the examples of triggers on school campuses include things like pesticide, cleaning solutions. You have exhaust-related air pollution from the school buses or from the pickup and drop-off zone. You may have construction dust happening from recent renovations, animal dander, grass from the playing fields, you know, where kids are doing their physical education and things like that. And then the third thing that leads to this September epidemic is that back to school also means back to germs. And this is the season when we see colds and flus start circulating. And respiratory illnesses are a major asthma trigger. So we typically see that large spike in asthma attacks around three weeks after school has started. Wow, there's a lot of interesting things about what you just said in relation to COVID. 
COVID-19 as well as to asthma. So I think we'll stick with asthma first and then I'm going to come back to the schools and COVID-19 because that is a horrifying D plus that you talked about and I would like to get into that a little bit more. Uh, Melanie or Dr. G, what are some steps that patients can take to ensure that they aren't going to be impacted by this peak month that goes beyond just making sure that you have your asthma in control. So taking your control of medication and knowing that you have an asthma action plan, what else can people do to make sure that this peak month doesn't impact them negatively? I know that Melanie probably has even more to add with all the work that you guys are doing, but I would say that one important thing is also making sure that everyone is getting their flu shot. That's especially important this year with the coronavirus being out there and everything's going to be a little bit more confusing for people. And so it's really important to protect yourself against the one thing that we know you can protect yourself from, that's the influenza virus. So we really are just telling everyone to make sure that they're getting the flu shot. And that's really everyone from kids to adults, to teenagers, to older people, everyone should be getting their flu shot. And that's going to protect not only the person that's getting the flu shot, but also everyone else around you. And I think that that can't be emphasized enough. Getting a flu shot is critically important this year. And I think it's good for people to know that it's already available. So now's the time to go and get it. And can we just bust a myth? perhaps that's what you could say, is I know that I've seen people with an egg allergy afraid of taking the flu shot. Is that something they should be concerned about? So as far as egg allergy and the flu shot, there isn't anything to be concerned about. There's been studies actually that show that people with an egg allergy can absolutely tolerate the flu shot. If you are nervous and you're a parent and your child has an egg allergy and it just does not feel safe for you, you can always go to an allergist's office and have them give give your child the uh, vaccine in their office. And what we do sometimes if parents very nervous or if we're worried for any reason is we'll give them part of the flu vaccine first, uh, like a small uh, amount, make sure that the person doesn't react. And then if there's no reaction after 30 minutes, we will give them the rest. If I can summarize real quick, if someone has asthma and they're worried about September as a peak month, they should really make sure that they have their asthma controlled. And that means taking your controller medication and having an up-to-date asthma action plan, which you could do with your doctor to get the flu shot and avoid your triggers if possible. So if you know that ragweed is a trigger, I would suggest something like showering and washing your hair before going to bed so you don't bring that trigger into the bedroom, maybe changing your clothes if you see that there's lots of ragweed on it, keeping the windows closed. Is there anything else that they can do to make sure that they avoid their triggers? Those are all good recommendations, Court. I would also say that for pollen allergy, if you do want to keep your windows open, that having an air purifier can help. Real quick before we dive into a little bit more COVID-19 and asthma, you mentioned something about public schools receiving a D plus about their conditions. And I'm wondering if your kid is going back to school this year and you're going back into a building that's only received a D plus, is there something that a parent needs to do to ensure that their child is safe? A lot of schools are implementing new policies to help 
you know, manage COVID-19 as well. So I think it's just important to find out how your school district is handling the school environment this year. One of the things that's important for preventing the spread of COVID-19 is to deal with air ventilation, for example. So just checking in to see what is your school's policy? How are they handling maintaining their HVAC systems and things like that might give you a little bit more peace of mind. I think some classrooms where they're not able to have really high end filtration systems are just opting to keep windows open. So again, what we just talked about with ragweed allergy for those sufferers, you know, having the windows open might bring that pollen in. But again, with coronavirus, it's thought that having proper ventilation, meaning like if you don't have these high end filtration systems, keeping the windows open and having kind of that airflow might help to some degree. And so for people who are going back to school and do have allergies that are environmental from outdoor allergens, and you know that your school is keeping the windows open, then it's even more important to make sure that you're doing all the things that you normally do for your seasonal allergies, like taking your antihistamines before you go to school. We mentioned earlier at the beginning of the episode that we haven't seen a direct impact necessarily that people with asthma have worse symptoms with COVID-19. However, if I, I have asthma, for instance, and I want to know, okay, peak month is coming. Are there any extra precautions that I should take or is doing what I normally do good enough? Well, um, it will just... Depend on the situation that you're in, uh, not everybody is returning to work yet or returning to school. So you may be working from home more often or doing school from home. Taking a look at your home environment is important. You know, we do know from the EPA that indoor air is more polluted than outdoor air. So taking a look at, you know, your own home's air ventilation, um, whether or not you have, you know, a high efficiency filter on your HVAC system or if you use an air cleaner, for example. Watching the peak times for pollen might also help knowing when you can open your windows or not if you are impacted by pollen allergy. And then the other things that you're doing during COVID-19 might actually help you manage your asthma a little bit better, including washing your hands more is going to help protect you from the respiratory illnesses that are circulating. So that will help you, you know, prevent getting sick. There's some other things that you'll be doing, like wearing a mask can sometimes help filter out other triggers that you may be getting exposed to. You know, the issue of masks, I think it is important to let people know that most people can wear masks uh, safely. I know that there's been a lot of questions from people with asthma asking if a mask is going to be harmful to them. And the answer is no. Uh, most people can wear a mask just fine. And I think it's really important to find one that's comfortable to you to make sure that you will wear it. You know, if you're trying a mask that's just really uncomfortable and you feel like you're having a hard time breathing, maybe just switching to a different one might be the solution for you. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think we've had that question come up a lot too. And ultimately we know, and this is from, you know, even doctors in hospitals doing these kind of tests just to show people that, hey, I've got this really heavy duty mask on and I'm doing my pulse ox while I'm wearing it. And also while I'm not wearing it, you can see that my oxygen level and my body is staying the same. It's really important for people to remember things 
like that, because a lot of shortness of breath with masks, I think, is a subjective feeling, unfortunately, where just that feeling of having your mouth covered and your nose covered makes people feel subjectively like they're suffocating. And I mean, there might be something to that if you're outside, it's humid, and then you're trying to exercise, you know, having good airflow in and out while you're actively exercising may be important for some people. If you find that you're trying to do heavy exercise outside with a mask on and you can't breathe well, like Melanie said, it would be good to, you know, try different types of masks and see which one makes you feel less of that feeling. But ultimately, what we do know is that wearing a mask is not going to affect your asthma not going to affect the amount of oxygen that you're getting into your body. That's really comforting to hear. And just so we go over masks one more time, is there a bare minimum of what is safe for you? So if I find like a cloth mask isn't working for me or like a thinner cloth mask works rather than a thicker cloth mask, is there a bare minimum of what is safe and what will protect me? The recommendation we've been giving to people to help them figure out if the mask that they're choosing will be effective. We have two tips. The first is you can hold the fabric up to a light. And if the light easily goes through, that mask may not have enough filtration on it. And so you may need to add another layer of fabric. The other is you can put the mask on and try to blow out a candle that foot away from your mouth or a few inches away. And if you can blow that candle out, then you can see your breath is coming out of that mask probably more than it should be. So again, finding another either type of fabric or adding another layer uh, might do the trick. Yeah, that's interesting. And I haven't really looked into any studies or if there's any data out there, but I have seen a lot of people that wear just kind of a bandana that they tie just on one end and they're not tying to their to the other end. So it's really there's there's no seal around their chin and their nose. That's one thing that I'm 99% sure is not going to be as protective as wearing a mask that covers your chin and your nose area and your mouth. It's important to remember that it's not just to have your nose and mouth visibly covered. It's meant to be a snug fit around your chin, your mouth, and your nose. How often should someone wash their mask if they have a reusable mask? Or how often should they change their mask if they're using a disposable mask? So you would want to wash your reusable mask every day. So at the end of the day, remove it by touching the ear loops or the ties. Uh, try not to touch the front of the mask with your hands. Just, you know, use the strings or, or the ties to remove it and wash it daily. You might need to replace your mask more often if you're doing things like physical activity in the heat and you've sweated all over your mask and, you know, now it's uncomfortable. Or I had a recent experience where I was wearing my mask and my allergies hit me and I just kept sneezing in the mask. And so I needed to replace it sooner. Uh, you know, keeping the mask dry and comfortable is important. So you might need to swap out to a new mask more often if needed. And that's a really good point, Melanie, is that technically the reason that we're telling you not to touch the front of your mask is that front of your mask is what's protecting you, which means that it could be contaminated with respiratory particles from someone, even if they are wearing the mask or if someone's not wearing their mask and is near you. And so if you do end up touching the front of your mask, it's just another opportunity for you to wash your hands. And then as far as non-reusable masks and how often you should change them, again, it should be every day, but you may not have the ability to do that. And so you have to work with what you have. And so if you're not able to change it every single day, obviously, as soon as it's soiled, 
world or for a lot of these disposable masks, the loops on the side, the elasticity wears down after some time. And so people will be wearing them, but because the elasticity is down, it's really not providing a nice seal around their mouth or around their chin. And so as soon as it starts feeling like it's like dangling and not really secure to your face, that means that you have to change it and that you can't, and that it's not really protecting you if you continue to wear it. And for those who use reusable masks, do we need to clean it in 90 degree water? Is there anything that's specific to cleaning it? I would recommend making sure that you at least include soap into the washing mix. Um, just a rinse with water may not may not do the trick. Uh, so make sure you're using soap. I personally wash my reusable fabric masks in my laundry and then just do a high heat dry. So that's that's what I've been using. But I would defer to... Dr. Gupta on this one. I'm referring to families or people or individuals who don't have access to a washing machine every night. And if I have to wash my mask every night, what's the best way to do it? Well, there's a couple things for that. One is just having multiple masks. There's so many ways to make a cloth mask from an old t-shirt, from old clothing of any sort, just keeping in mind all of the things that we've already discussed, but having multiple reusable masks so you don't have to be worry about washing it every night would be helpful if you can do that. You know, there's no data on exactly how they need to be washed. The warmer the water, the better usually for most things for disinfecting. But if you don't have hot water, I know laundromats in New York, when they were open, a lot of them didn't have a hot water option. And so I think Melanie's advice of doing it in cold water and then nuking it with the dryer is an option. Again, soap and water of any sort is good. And then drying it to the best of your abilities. Now that we're back to school season, whatever that looks like in your household, AFA has created something called the COVID-19 and Asthma Schools Toolkit. Can you tell us a little bit more about what's in that? You know, we know that school districts across the United States, you know, over the summer were grappling with how they were going to handle the return to school period. So we worked with some experts and pulled together a toolkit for schools to use. And it contains a number of checklists for school nurses or teachers that they can use to address various components of COVID-19 prevention, including health and hygiene check, how hand washing is handled on campus, mask guidance, physical distancing. And then we also went into issues where, you know, there may be things that the schools are doing to help prevent the spread of COVID-19, but it may actually be an asthma trigger. So for example, the cleaning recommendations, you know, if there are a bunch of really heavy cleaners being used in the classrooms, this actually might be a little problematic for the students who have asthma. So we, we gave some recommendations on that how to handle things like that. And then also went into air ventilation recommendations and specific asthma management issues like using a meter dose inhaler with a spacer instead of a nebulizer. If you use a nebulizer, you need to be in an area where you're not around other people. Thought is, is that if you do actually have COVID-19, the infection, then you use a nebulizer. Essentially, you're bringing those particles 
out further because it airlizes the respiratory particles. So it's basically putting the virus into the environment more. And so if you don't have the infection, then this, this does not pertain to you. So it's only if you have the virus, if you have the infection, that you would need to worry about that. But again, since a lot of people are not getting tested, uh, you may have it and not know it. And so you don't want to put other people at risk. So this isn't a new recommendation. I'm sure AFA and allergists and lung specialists have been telling patients all the time and recommending that they use their inhaler with a spacer because that's really the most effective way to use it. And we also know that studies show that using an inhaler with a spacer versus using a nebulizer that they're just as effective. So again, not a new recommendation, but something that needs to be emphasized now. That's great. And maybe we can add a video or a link to more information about using a spacer. And if it's just as effective, I feel like it's actually more comfortable. So I think that in most cases, people have decided whether they are going back to the classroom or whether they've decided that their child is going to learn virtually this year. But for those who are still trying to figure out which decision they want to make, whether in school makes the most sense or virtual makes the most sense, is there any recommendations or any criteria that they should look at? I think ultimately, you know, every parent is going to have to make the best decision for their family. And there will be a number of things that they consider when they're making this decision. You know, it may, it may be, you know, how well their child's asthma is controlled. It may be if someone in the family is at high risk of COVID-19, that may come into play with their decision. And then, of course, the child care issue. If parents have returned to work and they don't have adequate child care for their students to do virtual schooling from home, you know, they may need to return to learning in person. So, you know, there's a number of things that parents will have to decide. And I think, you know, speaking with their school's nurse to talk about the different options is actually the best place to start. And they could also take a look at the toolkit that AFA has put together, even though it's meant for schools. There's a lot of helpful information in there for parents as well. And as schools are reopening, we're going to see, you know, how things unfold. And so we may add new recommendations to the toolkit itself. We do recommend that people sign up to be a part of our patient community because then you'll get alerted if there are any new updates on asthma and COVID-19. So I, I would make that recommendation. You can go to aafa.org slash join and uh, register to get that free information. Great. Yeah, we'll definitely make sure to link to that. The last question I have really is I know that AFA's put out some really great graphics kind of outlining the different symptoms of COVID-19 versus a flu versus seasonal allergies versus asthma. And I love that. And we'll definitely link to that and we'll share it on our social media. Can we just go over really briefly the differences between asthma and what COVID-19 look like? If someone's feeling like they're not sure whether it's just they're experiencing peak September or maybe they've come in contact with COVID-19. This chart isn't meant to help people self-diagnose, but it is meant to help people just maybe understand what might be happening and then they can take the appropriate action. So, for example, there are many symptoms that overlap between the two, but there are some differences. So, for example, fever is fairly common with COVID-19, but not with asthma. So, if you are experiencing symptoms and one of them is fever, that's an indication 
indication to you that you need to call your physician? Shortness of breath occurs in both asthma and COVID-19. So that can be, that's really the the one that is harder for people uh, with asthma because every time they're short of breath right now, they're really scared that could this be shortness of breath related to COVID-19. And so to remember, uh, one thing that I've mentioned to patients is that if you're having shortness of breath and it's immediately relieved by your rescue inhaler, for example, that could be an indication that it's more your asthma and not COVID-19 potentially. But, you know, we are also using uh the albuterol as a treatment for patients with COVID-19 that are having shortness of breath. So that's, again, like Melanie said, you know, it's really hard to make ground rules for people to diagnose whether or not it's COVID-19 or their asthma that's causing their symptoms. So these are always things that you need to discuss with a doctor, things that you can do uh, if the shortness of breath is progressively getting worse. If it's not relieved by your inhaler, then that's another indication that you really need to seek help. If it doesn't go away, that's another reason that you really need to seek help. Um, meaning like even if your inhaler does help, but you have to constantly use your inhaler, it's not under control using your albuterol, which we've talked about on so many different episodes and so many different posts using your inhaler constantly, your rescue inhaler, your albuterol inhaler is a sign that your asthma is not well controlled. And so that's an indicator that you need to talk to a medical professional and figure out what's going on. And if you need another medication at like a controller medication if you're not already on one or if something else is going on and you need even stronger medication. So I think for asthmatics right now, it is confusing. And so just to be in touch with your provider is probably the best thing that you can do and making sure that you're having consistent follow-ups, especially if you have moderate to severe asthma, just to kind of touch base with your provider and let them know what's going on. It's been really interesting to hear all of the different things that we need to consider being asthmatic. And also it's it's comforting to one degree to hear that what we are doing and what we have done, and if you do have controlled asthma, it looks like you can maybe enter September not as worried as maybe you were before you listened to this episode. Is there anything that we maybe didn't touch upon that you feel like is important for our audience to hear? You know, just circling back to the reminder about getting a flu shot, um, you know, what we did see is that over the spring and summer, a lot of kids missed their wellness checks as people stayed home. So just making sure that we get vaccinations back on track will help improve just your overall health and really ensuring that you get that flu shot is going to be helpful for us to make sure that we prevent yet another pandemic occurring on top of the current one that we're experiencing. And we did see earlier this year at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, that happened while the flu season was uh, still in play. But we saw that the measures that people were taking were actually decreasing the number of flu cases. So if we continue to, you know, take care of ourselves, wash our hands, make sure that we're not coughing and sneezing on other people and things like that, we can help cut down the spread of these respiratory illnesses and ultimately help people with asthma. Those are all really good points, Melanie. And actually, I was thinking about the same thing earlier when we had mentioned it and then we kind of moved on was that it's important for people to remember that hand washing not only helps with coronavirus, but it also helps with influenza virus uh, and all other viruses. Just just the act of washing your hands, wiping surfaces, all of those basic things will help prevent 
these viral illnesses from spreading to other people. So if you're sick, covering your face also when you're coughing or sneezing. I mean, right now you can wear a mask, but at the same time, if you are coughing or sneezing, you can still put your elbow to your face and or cover your mouth with your hand just to make sure that uh, your mask doesn't blow off or that you're still taking that consideration to cover your mouth even more if you're coughing or sneezing. Great. Well, thank you so much for helping us understand more about masks and more about COVID-19 and more about asthma. And we'll definitely make sure to include a bunch of links that we mentioned. So AFA's charts, on the different symptoms, as well as how people can keep up to date with the newest information regarding asthma and COVID-19 and what they should know. Thank you so much. Thanks. Take care. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Remember that all information you hear today is for informational purposes only and are not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider. And also don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And if you have a second, help spread the word by rating our podcast and sharing with your friends and family who might also be interested in learning more about allergies, asthma, and immunology. You can always stay up to date by checking out our Instagram, The Itch Podcast, where you can leave questions you are itching to know, or check out our website, which is www.itchpodcast.com, which contains more information about the subjects we covered in today's episode and every episode. Until next time, have a fabulous week.